Chapter One of A Honeymoon in Space. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Honeymoon in Space by George Griffith. Chapter One. Read by Andrew Huglet. The situation was one which was absolutely without parallel in all the history of courtship from the days of Mother Eve to those of Miss Lilla Zadie Rennick. The nearest approach to it would have been the old-fashioned Tartar custom which made it lawful for a man to steal his best girl, if he could get her first, fling her across his horse's crupper, and ride away with her to his tent. But to the shocked senses of Mrs. Van Stuyler the present adventure appeared a great deal more terrible than that. Both Zadie and herself had sprung to their feet as soon as the upward rush of the astronef had slackened and they were released from their seats. They looked down through the glass walls of what may be called the hurricane deck chamber of the astronef, and saw below them a snowy sea of clouds just crimsoned by the rising sun. In this cloud sea, which spread like a wide-meshed veil between them and the earth, there were great irregular rifts which looked as big as continents on a map. These had a blue-gray background, or it might be more correct to say underground, and in the midst of one of these they saw a little black speck which after a moment or two took the shape of a little toy ship, and presently they recognized it as the eleven-thousand-ton liner which a few moments ago had been their ocean home. Mrs. Van Stuyler was shaking in every muscle, afflicted by a sort of St. Vetus's dance induced by physical fear and outraged propriety. Quite apart from these, however, she experienced a third sensation which made for a nameless inquietude. She was a woman of the world, well-versed in most of its ways, and she fully recognized that that single bound from the bridge rail of the St. Louis to the other side of the clouds had already carried her and her charge beyond the pale of human law. The same thought mingled with other feelings, half wonder and half of reawakened tenderness, was just the uppermost in Miss Zadie's mind. It was quite obvious that the man who would create and control such a marvelous vehicle as this could, morally as well as physically, lift himself beyond the reach of the conventions which civilized society had instituted for its own protection and government. He could do with them exactly as he pleased. They were utterly at his mercy. He might carry them away to some unexplored spot on one of the continents, or to some unknown island in the midst of the wide Pacific. He might even transport them into the midst of the awful solitudes which surrounded the poles, he could give them the choice between doing as he wished, submitting unconditionally to his will, or committing suicide by starvation. They had not even the option of jumping out, for they did not know how to open the sliding doors, and even if they had done, what feminine nerves could have faced a leap into the awful gulf which lay below them, a two-thousand-foot dive through the clouds into the waters of the wintry Atlantic? They looked at each other in speechless, dazed amazement. Far away below them, on the other side of the clouds, the St. Louis was steaming eastward, and with her were going the last hopes of the coronet which was to be matrimonial equivalent of Miss Zadie's beauty and Russell Rennick's millions. They were no longer of the world. Its laws could no longer protect them. Anything might happen, and that anything depended absolutely on the will of the lord and master of the extraordinary vessel which, for the present, was their only world. "'My dearest Zadie,' Mrs. Van Stuyler gasped, when she at length recovered the power of articulate speech, what an entirely too awful thing this is! Why, it's abduction and nothing less! Indeed, it's worse, for he's taking us clean off the earth, and there's no more chance of rescue than if he took us to one of those planets he said he could go to. If I didn't feel a great responsibility for you, dear, I believe I should faint. By this time Miss Zadie had recovered a good deal of her usual composure. The excitement of the upward rush and what was left of the momentary physical fear had flushed her cheeks and lighted her eyes. Even Mrs. Van Stuyler thought her looking, if possible, more beautiful than she had done under the most favorable of terrestrial circumstances. There was something else, too, which she didn't altogether like to see, 
a sort of resignation to her fate which in a young lady situated as she was then mrs van stuyler considered to be distinctly improper it's rather startling isn't it she said with hardly a trace of emotion in her voice but i have no doubt that everything will be all right in the end everything all right my dear zaidie what on earth or i might say under heaven do you mean i mean replied zaidie even more composedly than before and also with a little tightening of her lips that lord redgrave is the owner of this vessel and that therefore it is quite impossible that anything out of the way could happen to us i mean anything more out of the way than this wonderful jump from the sea to the sky has been unless of course lord redgrave is going to take us for a voyage among the stars zadie rennick said mrs van stuyler bridling up into her most frigid dignity i am more than surprised to hear you talk in such a strain perfectly safe indeed has it not struck you that we are absolutely at this man's this lord redgrave's mercy that he can take us where he likes and treat us just as he pleases my dear mrs van replied zadie dropping back into a familiar form of address but speaking even more frigidly than her chaperone had done you seem to forget that however extraordinary our situation may be just now we are in the care of an english gentleman lord redgrave was a friend of my father's the only man who believed in his ideals the only man who realized them the only man that you were ever in love with eh said mrs van stuyler with a snap in her voice is that so ah i begin to see something now and i think if you possess your soul in patience you will see something more before long snapped miss zadie in reply then she stopped abruptly and the flush on her cheek deepened for at that moment lord redgrave came up the companionway from the lower deck carrying a big silver tray with a coffee-pot three cups and saucers a rack of toast and a couple of plates of bread and butter and cake just then a sort of social miracle happened the fact was that mrs van stuyler had never before had her early coffee brought to her by a peer of the british realm she thought it a little humiliating afterwards but for the moment all sorts of conventional barriers seemed to melt away after all she was a woman and some years ago she had been a young one lord redgrave was an almost perfect specimen of english manhood in its early prime he was one of the richest peers in england and he was bringing her her coffee as she said afterwards she wilted and she couldn't help it i'm afraid that i kept you waiting a long time for your coffee ladies said redgrave as he balanced the tray on one hand and drew a wicker table towards them with the other you see there are only two of us on board this craft and as my engineer is navigating the ship i have to attend to the domestic arrangements Miss Van Stuyler looked at him in the silence of mental paralysis. Miss Zadie frowned, smiled, and then began to laugh. "'Well, of all the cold-blooded English ways of putting things,' she began. "'I beg your pardon,' said Lord Redgrave, as he put the tray down on the table. "'What Miss Rennick means, Lord Redgrave,' interrupted Mrs. Van Stuyler, struggling out of her paralytic condition, "'and what I, too, should like to say is that under the circumstances you think that I am not as penitent as I ought to be. Is that so?' said redgrave with a glance and a smile mostly directed towards miss zaidie well to tell you the truth he went on i am not a bit penitent on the contrary i am very glad to have been able to assist the fates as far as i have done assist the fates gasped mrs van stuyler helping herself shakily to sugar while miss zaidie folded a gossamer slice of bread and butter and began to eat it i think lord redgrave that if you knew all the circumstances you would say that you were working against them my dear mrs van stuyler he replied as he filled his own coffee cup i quite agree with you as to certain fates but the fates which i mean are the ones which with good or bad reason i think are working on my side besides i do know all the circumstances or at least the most important of them that knowledge is in fact my principal excuse for bringing you so unceremoniously above the clouds as he said this he took a sideways glance at miss zaidie she dropped her eyelids and went on eating her bread and butter but there was a little deepening of the flush on her cheeks 
which was to him as the first flush of sunrise to a benighted wanderer. There was a rather awkward silence after this. Miss Zadie stirred the coffee in her cup with a dainty Queen Anne spoon, and seemed to concentrate the whole of her attention upon the operation. Then Mrs. Van Stuyler took a sip of her cup and said, "'But really, Lord Redgrave, I feel that I must ask you whether you think that what you have done during the last few minutes, which already, I assure you, seems hours to me, is, well, quite in accordance with the—' what shall i say ah uh, the rules that we have been accustomed to live under lord redgrave looked at miss zaidie again she didn't even raise her eyelids only a very slight tremor of her hand as she raised her cup to her lips told that she was even listening he took courage from this sign and replied my dear mrs van stuyler the only answer that i can make to that just now is to remind you that by the sanction of ages everything is supposed to be fair under two sets of circumstances and whatever is happening on the earth down yonder we i think are not at war the next moment miss zaidie's eyelids lifted a little there was a tremor about her lips almost too faint to be perceptible and the slightest possible tinge of colour crept towards her eyes she put her cup down and got up walked towards the glass walls of the deck chamber and looked out over the cloudscape the shortness of her steamer skirt made it possible for lord redgrave and mrs van stuyler to see that the sole of her right boot was swinging up and down on the heel ever so slightly they came simultaneously to the conclusion that if she had been alone she would have stamped and stamped pretty hard possibly also she would have said things to herself in the surrounding silence this seemed probable from the almost equally imperceptible motion of her shapely shoulders mrs van stuyler recognized in a moment that her charge was getting angry she knew by experience that miss zaidie possessed a very proper spirit of her own and that it was just as well not to push matters too far she further recognized that the circumstances were extraordinarily not to say equivocal and that she herself occupied a distinctly peculiar position she had accepted the charge of miss zaidie from her uncle russell for a consideration counted partly by social advantages and partly by dollars in the most perfect innocence she had permitted not only her charge but herself to be abducted for after all that was what it came to from the deck of an american liner and carried not only beyond the clouds but also beyond the reach of human law both criminal and conventional inwardly she was simply fuming with rage as she said afterwards she felt just like a bottled volcano which would like to go off but daren't about two minutes of somewhat surcharged silence passed mrs van stuyler sipped her coffee in ostentatiously small sips lord redgrave took his in slower and longer ones and helped himself to bread and butter miss zaidie appeared perfectly contented with her contemplation of the clouds End of chapter one of a honeymoon in space